We were really curious about Colonel Coggins' history in the Air Force, so today we're going to ask him about that. Um, so, sir, if you don't mind telling us where you came from, where you've been, and what you see moving forward. Well, thanks for, uh, again, thanks for having me, and it's uh, really interesting to have a brand new PA troop here, so it's going to be a really cool dynamic, so hope you're not too shy over there. You can speak up a little bit. She's looking at me really, right, really <laughs> like, uh, nervous right now, but uh, hopefully she'll speak up. Mm. But first of all, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, really interesting background and childhood-wise, end up uh, spending a lot of time both in Arizona and Massachusetts, a little bit in Texas. I, I wasn't a military brat, just uh, end up moving around quite a bit. Uh, but uh, still somehow found my way to uh, the Air Force Academy and, and graduated from there in 99. Uh, after that, uh, pilot training in uh, lovely Del Rio, Texas at Laughlin Air Force Base. Uh, graduated there summer 2000, and then uh, soon after that, uh, found myself in uh, Davis-Monfin training on the A-10. Uh, uh, that training lasted about five, six months. Add a few other months uh, going to forward air, forward air control training and survival training, water survival training, resistance training, and uh, before you know it, uh, it's uh, all done, and I'm getting ready to report to Pope Air Force Base, my first operational assignment. Uh, my first day, my day I was supposed to sign into Pope Air Force Base was the 12th of September, 2001. Oh, wow. And so uh, my wife and I were actually on our honeymoon on the flight back from our honeymoon on September 11th, and I was supposed to report in to uh, Pope the next day. So as you can tell, the September 11th had a big uh, impact on our lives. Uh, we get, uh, we were, our honeymoon got extended by a few days, um, and an uh, interesting story, probably not suitable for this podcast, trying to get back from uh, our honeymoon, but uh, we did end up getting back to Pope a few days later, and then obviously uh, everyone's lives changed. So, uh, you know, my wife went into 24-hour ops with uh, her intel commitment, and then, uh, you know, and I was in the 23rd fighter group, 24th fighter squadron at the time, which are the Flying Tigers uh, from the... Uh, American Volunteer Group back from World War II Heritage. It was a very cool assignment, but uh, yeah, we immediately got ready for whatever was going to come our way. Soon after that, um, you know, um, um, Afghanistan, uh, OEF started happening, not OEF, no, Afghanistan kicked off. Uh, and I was deployed at that time to Al Jaber. That was my first deployment to Kuwait, to Al Jaber, as the Afghanistan war was kicking off. Uh, finished that deployment. Uh, and then soon thereafter, Iraqi freedom was getting ready to kick off, and uh, I actually got plucked out of the cockpit and got sent to Fort Campbell to be a battalion air liaison officer with the 101st Airborne. And so uh, landed in uh, uh, Nashville, and a few hours later, I'm in line to get on board a 747 with the 101st Airborne uh, on the way to Kuwait for the Iraqi freedom. Uh, yeah, made our way out to Kuwait, and uh, was in Kuwait for uh, a week or two, and then before you know it, I'm on the offensive with Third Infantry Division on the way to Baghdad. Uh, so lots of interesting uh, stories, leadership challenges, um, and learn more about leadership in, in that short period of time, uh, living with the Army for a couple months than I, I have uh, have since, honestly. Um, soon after the major hostilities were over, um, after we made it to Baghdad, uh, found my way back to uh, Pope Air Force Base, was only home for about a couple months, and turned right back around, headed right back to Iraq, this time back in the cockpit. Uh, flying out of uh, Tulil Air Base in the uh, southern part of Iraq. And then uh, was supposed to be there for six months, uh, but after uh, two or three months there, we, uh, both my wife and I got orders to go to Korea. So we uh, cut that deployment a little short, head back to Pope, packed up the house, and uh, off to Korea we go. So we did a two-year assignment out to Osan. Um, 
they're continuing to fly the A-10 and uh, keeping an eye on North Korea and uh, amazing assignment, lots of great flying, lots of great instruction, and uh, spent a couple of years there flying the line. Uh, soon thereafter, we got orders to back to Davis-Monthan, uh, where I learned to fly the A-10, but now I'm going back to teach, so uh, very cool uh, assignment there. Um, was lucky enough after being there for only about nine months, got picked up to be initial cadre for the C model conversion. So the A-10 went from the A model to the C model, really uh, um, modernized a cockpit with uh, modern weapons controls, electronic combat controls, data link, targeting pod, and eventually helmet-mounted sight. Uh, and I was able to be on the leading edge of that and be the initial cadre for that and really teach the rest of the active duty how to fly that new machine, which was a, just a great assignment for me. That's cool. And so... Um, but thereafter, you know, my wife and I were looking at, uh, you know, starting a family and a lot of other family issues and factors. And so we thought maybe the time was get out of active duty. Um, and, uh, yeah, so before you know it, I'm uh, looking at A-10 units in the Guard to join as a part-timer. And um, at the same time, my wife was uh, getting offers to go to Texas A&M to get her MBA. So we actually moved to College Station, Texas. And uh, we lived there for a couple years. Um, I actually <laughs> started working for a U.S. Olympic Committee. Uh, really, oh, wow. technically, I was working for USA Team Handball, uh, but they were the national governing body for the sport for the U.S. Olympic Committee, and uh, I was organizing the sport, fundraising, uh, recruiting talent, uh, hosting youth clinics, um, and uh, did a lot of different things for the organization. It's a sport that I played at the academy, and I would kept up with the organization throughout the years, and uh, it was a really interesting job uh, for a couple of years, and while doing that, I was a DSG with 188 Feather Fort Smith. Um, and then before you know it, my wife was missing serving, so she joins the unit up in the 188. She comes out of IRR and joins the unit, and uh, soon thereafter, I applied for an AGR job, and then I'm full-time back at the 188, but of course, we've moved to Fort Smith at this point, and yeah, we uh, were, uh, she was in the intel shop. I was in the weapons shop. We lived one door apart from each other for four years of our careers and had a great time doing it. Wow. And... Um, yeah, and then, uh, of course, we got the news. We're going to MPNO. Oh, sorry, two more deployments during that time as well to, uh, to Afghanistan. Um, one of those deployments we actually deployed together, which was a really unique experience. Um, and uh, so that was a just a really, um, really fulfilling uh, militarily to be able to deploy with my wife. Um, so, yeah, uh, then the, you know, we got the news that we're converting MQ-9. Um, you know, I wasn't really sure I wanted to do with my career at that point, and I uh, knew I wanted to continue to serve, but wasn't sure if I wanted to continue to do it as a full-timer or not. Uh, so I actually go back to being a DSG. Uh, I do get hired by an airline during that time, and then uh, about three, six months into working for the airline, my, my commander up at uh, 188 uh, was really pressuring me to apply to a squadron command. and wasn't too sure if I wanted to do it or <laughs> not, but uh, he convinced me. I applied, interviewed, and yeah, and then before he knows, squadron commander, and we uh, converted to MQ-9. Uh, I went to MQ-9 school, got fully qualified in that. And uh, about three years later, the OG spot comes open and um, applied for that and got picked up as the OG commander. And uh, again, now we're uh, really knee-deep in combat operations in MQ-9, which is this very fulfilling mission to, to be the commander of. Um, and yeah, a couple years later after that, um, you know, my wife at this time was doing her career as well. We were both group commanders, uh, uh, peer mm -hmm. group commanders in the same wing, and um, we just knew it was the right thing for the wing, it was the right thing for us that uh, we got out of each other's way one way or another. Yeah. Um, so, you know, through some good discussions with our leadership in the state, we, um, you know, we decided that maybe it's the right thing for me for me to look for something else to do. Um, so with that being said, I was looking at some statutory opportunities and 
find our way down to uh, find my way to a couple of different interviews and end up getting picked up to go down to first Air Force at Tyndall Air Force Base. Um, and I could not tell you, I have some trepidation going down there, and obviously the family life was difficult. But as far as the job, what an amazing organization and had learned so much about more than just the Arkansas National Guard and the Arkansas Air National Guard and our two wings uh, to go down there and learn about how we defend our country from uh, from the NORAD point of view, uh, from the NORTHCOM point of view, the, the defense support of civil authority from the Title 10 side. And we only, no we only normally see the Title 32 side you know, yeah. here within the state. Um, and then with a new mission that First Air Force picked up, also being part of SpaceCom and doing the human space flight support and rescuing astronauts. And uh, so a lot of real interesting stuff I got to learn about down there. Um, yeah, and then during that position, I was contacted if I'd be interested in coming and joining this amazing unit. So uh, before you know it, I'm um, preparing to come to Little Rock. So um, that was probably a longer answer than you wanted. No, but, that's uh, great. Yeah, that's uh, that's the uh, my <coughs> military history in a, in a nutshell. That's crazy. Uh, my first question is, did you have room to breathe during your entire military career so far? Because I feel like you have just been go, go, go. So <laughs> uh, It's been it's been have time to breathe it's been I've not been bored yeah I've right. not been bored yeah it's probably a good way of putting it but that's you know who I am right and I think a lot of us are that type a personality and we want to be on a move and honestly I think a lot of our young people who are joining right now the last thing they want to do is sit around and do nothing and right. I think it's we all want to have that goal that we want to be going after so uh, I never felt I was uh, too overworked um, I was a little tired at times during combat ops but uh, other than that no I haven't felt like it's been overwhelming yeah, well, that's good because just listening to that, I'm like thinking that there's a lot going on and I don't know. I mean, I've never been in positions where I've deployed back to back to back, but it seems like it would be a lot of stress, especially with a family or just a spouse at home. So Yeah, you know, my first my first three deployments, uh, we didn't have kids yet. And, you know, my wife and I knew what right. we were getting into. So as far as, you know, leaving each other, that was I'm not saying it was easy, but it was understandable, and it's what we joined the military to do. Right. It definitely got harder with the kids, and you know, I'll be honest. The the second deployment in that with 188, my fifth total there, um, you know, we both deployed, and we had kids at home uh, mm -hmm. when we did that. Um, and actually, our son ended up having to start kindergarten in North Carolina, living with my sister-in-law, oh. and uh, you know, both our kids went out there while we were deployed. Um, so we actually had to start kindergarten. Uh, and North Carolina, which was, you know, hard for us and really hard for, for Sarah, especially. Right. Um, but, you know, I'll shout out to Greenwood, Arkansas here. Um, I'll tell you the story and uh, get your Kleenex out. But the uh, um, we went to the school district before we deployed and told them what the situation was. And we said, hey, you know, when we get back, it would really be great if they could be in this school because this school is closer to home for us versus the other schools the other side of town. And the school district was like, hey, we'll, we'll do what we can. We just, you know, we don't know if we're going to be able to accommodate you. But, uh uh, anyways, n not only when we got back and the kids got back from North Carolina did they have DJ, our son, who's the older of our two, in the, the school that we asked for. They had a desk reserved for him. They had an American flag on the desk. And when he came back to school his first day there, every kid in that room, kindergarten in that room, knew why he was gone and why he Aww. started the school. Day. So... <laughs> yeah, told you. <laughs> so, anyways, it was um, Mrs. Cox was that kindergarten teacher. I'll never forget what she did for him and did for our family. But um, you know, I always talk about how amazing Arkansas is and supportive of our of our military, and uh, that was just an amazing story for us. And we'll always be grateful to Greenwood and 
um, Arkansas for being that welcoming to us. That's so sweet. That's great. Like parent coming home from a deployment or just any type of support or somebody going out of their way to take care of not just the military member, but the family too. Because you don't realize, but a lot of times that family member, whether it's the spouse or the kids, they they go through just as much, if not more, transition than the military member themselves. I am in the military currently, and my I was active duty for 13 years, so my kids moved around a lot, and they had to give up their friends. That's something that is hard to do. Like, as a kid, you might not completely understand something or the reason why you're doing it, and then you're just expected to pick up and go, you know. So it's really it's really nice to see when, when people are willing to take care of you and got, go out of your way for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So you are a former A-10 pilot, mm-hmm. and you are the commander of a C-130 unit. Yep. Can you fly the C-130s? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Okay. Um, uh, so in actuality, by AFI, um, a commander of a flying unit needs to be qualified in one of the weapon systems that it is. And so um, all that to say is that it's actually a requirement. Now that being said, if you haven't picked up on this, I love to fly. Uh, it's one of you know. I, I think I, I might. Yeah, you picked up on that. Pick so <laughs> uh, I could not wait to get qualified in the C-130, um, and to the point where I had to pester my three-star boss in Florida to let me go and come back up here and get qualified early. So I actually came up in September of last year and okay. got qualified in the aircraft. It w- unfortunately it was a short course, so I have some limitations on what I'm uh, allowed to do in the aircraft. Um, but no, I, I absolutely do get qualified. Love the airplane. I love flying the airplane. It's uh, it's a very uh, tactile aircraft, and it, you can really tell you're flying it. And uh, unlike like my airline experience, where it's more of managing the machine and it's right. uh, a little more automated, uh, you don't get that love of flying. That thirst, the love of flying, isn't quenched as much as it is flying the C-130. So, right. um, you know, obviously, in a situation we're in a tough su- situation right now with our aircraft availability and the propellers. So, I'm not getting to fly as much as I would like. I'm uh, just working my hardest to stay qualified in the simulator, and when it makes sense for me to get back on a flight line, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. I didn't know how that worked, but I th- I was I was very curious. So yeah, so I mean, really, it's my third aircraft because I was qualified in the MQ nine for That's six right. years um, in between the A ten and, and now the C one thirty. And um, so yeah, it's a it's an amazing aircraft, and um, yeah, just like I said, I'm really looking forward to continuing to fly it some more. Looking forward, though, I know we have you for at least a couple years. Yeah, hopefully, we hope. Yeah. Um, so what do you see as far as the future of the wing goes? Like, what are you looking forward to? to instilling in the wing? You know, really, you know, we're looking at the challenges that the wing has and really opportunities, but every opportunity has its challenges. So uh, obviously we're, we're looking at the J model coming online within the next, uh, by the end of uh, FY24, how do we incorporate that and do our FTU? And looking at both on the operation side and on the maintenance side, making sure we're ready for that to come online. Uh, we still got to source those, F- those J models and make sure that they're modified to what we need them to be when we get them here. Um, and then uh, we're looking at the, the remaining H model fleet. It, it might even be more of a challenge than bringing on the new J models as far as, you know, the different prop propeller variations. We're going to be looking at those aircraft, the different engine variations, different avionics um, uh, variations we have. And both from the maintenance side and from the teaching side, how do we manage a fleet that has so many different variants? Right. Um, when it, how do we maintain them? And then how do we teach to them effectively so that when the students leave here, uh, they're armed with the right knowledge and skill set to be go be effective to the unit they end up with. Um, so those are some of the challenges I certainly see from the ops and maintenance side. 
Um, as I look at the mission support side and the med group side, how are they getting ready for agile combat employment? How are they getting ready for a potential Indo-PACOM engagement and making sure that we're training them to be ready for that fight? So, and as you've heard me say before, it's that it's not training to get ready to fight. It's training to be so good at fighting that no one wants to fight us. Right. And um, that training and how we modernize that training is something we'll be looking at as well. Um, to get after that, um, our the wing staff has already met. And matter of fact, tomorrow, the group commanders, group leadership, and wing staff are getting together to look at our strategic plan and how we're going to get after those things for the next few years. And then in the near future after that, we'll incorporate the squadron leaderships uh, around the wing as well. We'll do another strategic planning session and wrap that up. And all the intent of at May RSD, we'll be able to, uh, you know, really announce what the strategic plan for the next two years looks like and be able to get in front of the whole wing and, and roll that out. And uh, with that comes marching orders of how we're going to get after all that. So I'm really, really excited about the strategic planning that's happening right now. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting that done and getting it out in front of the wing. Yeah, that's not, that's awesome. Well, I'm sure we're all looking forward to knowing our new direction. It's nice to have that. All right, so one of the last things I want to talk to you about is the that um, February is Black History Month, and I know uh, it's our diversity is going to be our center point of focus for the National Guard. So this month is going to be special. Typically, we do one podcast a month. I, I do want to tell everybody that we're going to do a little mini-series of podcasts this month because there's a lot of important things that we need to cover. Uh, we wanted to cover introducing Colonel Coggin and his military background so we all know what kind of person he is, where he's come from, and what to expect. But we also want to talk about the importance of diversity and how Colonel Coggin is going to help us uh, push diversity to the forefront during Black History Month. So, Colonel Coggin, don't, if you don't mind, uh, tell us what we have in store. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to correct you with one thing. It's not yep. that I'm going to push us for diversity and inclusion. It's we all are going to help with that, right? And right. that's uh, something we all have to understand. It's, you know, as, as it goes, and it's cliche, but it's true, no one person can do everything, but everybody can do something. Right. right. Absolutely. And, um, so with that being said, um, this is – the thing I want to really highlight about diversity and inclusion is it's not easy. The hardest part, though, is talking about it, but it's the most important part. If we don't talk about it, then we're never going to solve it, and it's not an easy conversation to have. So what I encourage people to do is to have these conversations, and if you are having these conversations, that you're looking at them through the point of intent because everyone has a different lens when they're talking about diversity, inclusion, their 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 experience, their background is going to drive the words that they use to talk about a certain situation. And so I, I cannot encourage people strongly enough that if you're, if, and I shouldn't say if, when you're having these conversations, look at the intent. And what I mean by that is don't emotionally react to the word. React to the intent of a speaker who's trying to say it. Because most of us are not armed, including me, are not armed with the proper words all the time to get through this difficult topic. So I ask that you look the intent. And oh, by the way, if a, you're someone you're talking to says something that you know you really take the wrong way, speak up. But speak up unemotionally, right? Just go, hey, I'm not sure if you know, but that phrase you just used, here's what that phrase means to me. Versus just dismissing them, getting angry at them, walking away. That person may not know that that phrase, that set of words, you know, that thought process means something to someone else. 
So, for example, I was at a group commanders conference not too long ago. Uh, I guess it was about 18 months ago now. And we were talking about this really difficult subject. And this was right after the riots that erupted through the, you know, incredibly disgusting incident that happened in Minnesota. And, um, you know, this question was posed to a bunch of group commanders. How are, how are you going to talk about this to your, to your team? And one group of commander came up and said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up in front of the team and just go, hey, what we need to do is stay focused on the task, all right? There's not really anything we can do at about this issue from our foxhole. We're going to make sure we're treating people fairly, and we're just going to move out. And to a lot of people in a lot of places, I bet that sounds like a really reasonable course of action. A different 06 stands up, and he identifies, you know, who he is. And he says, just so you know, I'm, I was born and raised in South Los Angeles. I was there for the riots. And what you just said just told me is, like, it's not my problem. I don't have to deal with it. And you under, but he understood that the person speaking didn't intend it to come across that way. He was trying to instruct right. at 06, like, this is what it means to someone with my background. Right. And I know that's not what you want to say. So it's really important that we, we, we learn how other people look through their lenses, and we look at the intent of people trying to say, and we offer, you know, suggestive suggestions on how to improve and how we act in these scenarios. So, um, you know, obviously this really goes to readiness and recruiting and how we can be more inclusive and how we can make our force look more like the force in the community that we have outside the fences. Um, but uh, it's a tough subject, and I'm really looking forward to continuing to talk about it. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a perfect forum having Chief Monk here. She is our first African-American um, command chief in the wing. And I think that she comes from a really, really experienced background, and she has a great perspective on everything. And she loves being on podcasts, so that's a double bonus. So um, yep, she w- she'd be here today, but she's TDY, so mm. we're looking forward to getting her back, yeah. and we can have that conversation. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's coming up next week, right? So uh, I really look forward to it too, and I think I think we're on the right track as far as diversity goes, and I think uh, continued talks about this I think will be really beneficial, and I think people will be really wis- willing to listen to what we have to say, especially if it's something that you know we need to keep on the forefront of our minds, and it's m- it's more important than ever these days because of all the things that are happening around us. So understanding each other and knowing intent you will often hear me talk about diversity of thought and um i you know for those of you who get the pleasure of uh, sitting through a meeting with me you'll you'll hear me asking questions because i want to hear the opinions of others Uh, and when it even comes down to hiring boards um, i've always been a proponent of bringing someone onto the hiring board that's not from my unit because i want someone on that board who doesn't know the applicants who doesn't necessarily an expert in our mission even because I, I want to hear someone who has a more unbiased opinion, has that diversity of thought. So, uh, yeah, what you're getting at is absolutely correct. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, sir, for coming. We really appreciate you giving your time to us, um, and we really look forward to the next podcast. Enjoyed having it, but I still haven't heard Airman Snell say anything I yet, know, so she's so quiet. I was just worried that I was going to mess up the audio because I don't know if it's, like, all on one or separate. So if I say anything and I interrupt them, I would just. All right. Well, we got you covered now, so you <laughs> talk. Okay. We're good. <laughs> and maybe next time you'll be the speaker. Yes. We'll put you on. We'll, we'll make you the main thank the main you. speaker. All right. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you.
We are Mission Ready Airmen, providing premier training to the C-130 and cyber enterprises, capitalizing on partnerships to support the state and defend the nation. Our vision is to be a diverse family of airmen, dedicated, adaptive, and empowered to lead.